0: She is the president of the Association of Asian American Investment Managers, also known as AIM. In this episode, you'll hear about Grace's journey. She immigrated from the Philippines and grew up in California's Central Valley, raised in Stockton by a single mother with her two younger siblings. She got a degree in economics from UCLA and went on to get her MBA from UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business. And over the last two years, Grace has done such a wonderful job of marketing and strengthening Ames' brand and has doubled corporate sponsorships for the nonprofit since she has joined, which is just incredible. I had met Grace at an annual meeting for a venture capital fund a while back, and there was this little line forming to meet up with her and speak with her, even though she wasn't actually speaking at the event. She's just that popular. And she's really hard to miss because her smile really lights up the room, and she infuses such positive energy in pretty much every social setting. And you'll hear one of my favorite stories. Uh, Grace will share this series of questions that she had at a job interview, and it ends in the final round where the questioner asks her, what do you like to do for fun? And Grace responds, I like to party. You'll hear me laughing because I've never heard of such a lively answer to an interview question. But that's Grace. She's she's bold and fearless and really true to herself. And in fact, she actually does like to party so much so that she started a very successful investment happy hour in San Francisco. And also as an extension of that, you'll hear her use social media. And I know of influencers on social media, but I actually don't know many or any on LinkedIn from a business or finance perspective. And Grace is a top one percenter in LinkedIn's investment management group because she'll get 30, 40, 60,000 views per post. It's just incredible. As I think back to the show's prior conversations, I have to say this has been one of the most incredible journeys I've had. And I've spoken to several of you about feedback and comments about what you like about the show. And one of the comments I got was from a CIO of a large foundation And he said, Yin, I love the concept of growth from failure and your conversations that you're having are really interesting, very unique, but some of them aren't about failure. And I would say this episode with Grace borders on that comment. We don't focus on any of Grace's specific failures per se, but the biggest regret she holds in her life was during the extremely tough period that her mother was dying of cancer and she didn't allocate time the way that she had wanted to. And It's that one regret that has shaped how she manages competing priorities thrown at her today and views her time as the most important commodity. As I've gotten to know Grace, I've come to really admire her self-awareness and her courage in being herself. She inspires me to not fear judgment from others and to do what I feel passionate about and ultimately to spend precious time with people that genuinely support who I am. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Grace Reyes as much as I did. Hi, Grace. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Grace is president of AIM, which is an acronym for Association of Asian American Investment Managers. Before you talk more about your role there in promoting diversity and gender balance and pretty much being the best networker I've met in a long time, I'd love to have you share with our listeners where you grew up.
1: I actually was born in the Philippines. I came to the States when I was four and grew up in a city called Stockton. Not sure if people are familiar with Stockton, but it's a pretty sketchy area. Grew up in the South Side, raised by a single mom and grew up with two younger siblings. And then from there, I went to UCLA. Didn't realize how little we had growing up until I got to UCLA and everyone had a lot more than I did. Having said that, I had a pretty happy childhood. Lots of cousins, lots of parties, family parties that I still keep fond memories of it.
0: I've always been fascinated by how people choose the callers that they go to. And you had mentioned that You're the oldest of three, raised by a single mother. How did you pick UCLA? For me, it was a struggle, but thankfully, I had role models in my brother and my older sister. How did you pick the college you went to and kind of the whole process for you of of going to college?
1: I was the first in my family to go to college out of my cousins and my mom's brothers and sisters. My mom did go to college back in the Philippines, but here in the States, no one else had a college degree. So for me, I was choosing a college that was well-known. I know a lot of my friends in high school, UCLA was one of them, and UC Berkeley, and I applied to UCLA and got in, and it was amazing.
0: What major did you end up deciding on?
1: I decided on economics and with a computer specialization, and how I chose that was because I just took the classes that I thought was interesting. And then the computer specialization, I really enjoyed it because of, for me, it was like a puzzle. It helped me with my macro skills for sure.
0: And so what did you decide to do after graduating UCLA?
1: Well, during UCLA, everyone wanted to go to investment banking. And I actually had my son the last year of college, so while all my friends went into investment banking, I actually took a different route, something more flexible. I decided to teach high school at Edison High School, which is an inner city high school that I graduated from, taught high school maths, AP statistics, AP calculus. And then I also did real estate. And during that time, real estate was booming. So I learned a lot about Real estate sales or real estate sales, but the sales skills were very invaluable to my success in the future. And
0: so, just to rewind a little bit, you mentioned you now have a 15 year old. So, you had a, a child in college. Can we talk about that a little bit?
1: Jaden, actually, I was with his dad for three years. And when I graduated, we split up. But as a result of that relationship, I have this wonderful son who. If you guys ever need a salesperson, he would be the best. He tries to sell me all the time on things. I think having him at an early age helped me prioritize my schedule. It made me realize what's important early on. Actually, because of him, for instance, when I was fundraising, I always had to network and always had to be out in I decided that I can't always be out because I had to be with my son. So I created this happy hour and called it Good Times SF because people ask me, why do you call it Good Times SF? And I'm like, because everyone has a good time. (laughs) And, you know, it's become one of the largest investment happy hour in San Francisco. We host it once a month. And that has helped me actually build my network over time.
0: I can't imagine what it's like to juggle a professional career and also single motherhood so early on. How did you do it? Did you have a network of family around or did you just really try to balance it all by yourself?
1: It's funny that you ask that because my friends always ask me, I still can't believe you're a mom. And I respond back, I can't believe it either. It's what I know. It just comes second nature. My mom early on had helped me and then my aunt also had helped me. So I had a bunch of people help me even until now when I travel a lot. I have my sister-in-law fly in or my sister fly in from San Diego or my aunt come from Stockton. So it definitely takes a village to raise a kid. That's so lucky that you have that network.
0: Can we rewind a little bit and now talking more about your professional trajectory? How did you get from being a teacher at your old high school to really getting into more of the sales-oriented profession that you're in today?
1: During the time I was teaching, I was also doing real estate sales. And there's this one friend, or one of my clients, actually, he was in investment banking. And when I was showing him a property, I was telling him, yeah, you know, I went to UCLA. I wanted to get into investment banking, but, you know, I'm doing real estate sales now, would love to get back into finance. And he was a managing director for an investment bank for Credit Suisse. And he's like, hey, I could get you an interview. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I did this interview. And he got me all the top people were there that I needed to meet. It's funny, because I didn't actually end up getting the job. One of the questions they asked me at the very end was what do you like to do for fun? And in investment banking interviews, you're supposed to say, I volunteer for the homeless or I um, you know, travel the world. I like to read books. And I was very upfront and I said, I like to party. So <laughs> of course, I didn't get the job. wasn't a the cultural fit. I'd still say the same answer now if I were to go back 10 years um, at that interview.
0: I have to say that's the first time I've ever heard that type of answer to a question. (laughs) And to be honest, I think that it's self-aware that you said that because I think most people would answer it in a formulaic way and choose something altruistic and, you know, you volunteer or you'd work with kids or this and that because it sounds good. But I don't know if many people would truly say that is what I do for fun. And I really admire that. It's an answer that I agree with if I actually could say it myself. So if you didn't get the job at Credit Suisse from that lovely and lively answer, what did you end up doing for work?
1: I was still determined to get a job in the finance industry. I worked with a few headhunters, and I finally got a job at Mellon Capital Management as a reporting analyst. And from there, it's a lot of skill set I've learned in real estate. I applied it to my job in finance. So for instance, as a reporting analyst, you're waiting for the portfolio managers to give your reports. And because I knew how to work with them, how to have the emotional intelligence or the sales skills to work with them, I always got my reports first out of everyone on my team. So I knew that early on that sales skills were important as well as just relationships within the industry to accomplish a goal. I did. Mellon Capital for a year and a half. And actually at the end of, I I decided to quit because that was around the time my mom was diagnosed with cancer.
0: You had mentioned that's one of the most impactful times in your life. How did you deal with that in terms of work and family and also your mom's illness?
1: That was a really tough time in my life. I didn't know how to deal with it. And working was the only answer. So instead of taking time off, which for me, that's one of the things I regret in my life. I continued working in my head. I'm like, I have to be responsible. I just, yeah, I didn't know how to deal with it except for work. And she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. They gave her three months to live and close to three months she did pass. And so that's the time when I took time off from Mellon and decided, you know, take a step back and for my career and just focus on family.
0: And how old were you at the time? And how old was Jaden?
1: I was 25, so Jaden would have been three or four.
0: So did you take a a full pause from work and just say, this is the time to be with your extended family and bring your son more into that? Or how did you deal with that?
1: I did, yeah, I lived in New York. So I quit Mellon Capital, took time off, and I lived in New York that summer. I was just trying to find myself. I probably wasn't the most responsible at that time because I think Jaden lived with my aunt, It was my cousins, my sister, everyone helped me out. So I think at that time, Jaden lived with my aunt while I explored and moved to New York and just tried to find myself.
0: How did you deal with that? And so in terms of thinking about who you are, what did you want to do with your time now that you realized it was so valuable to you?
1: My mom is one of the most inspirational person in my life. And so for me to lose her was a big tragedy. That loss, how I try to overcome it is I just try to emulate how she was. She was definitely a really great person. For instance, when she introduces someone, she'll say something that she genuinely likes about a person and that would leave the person feeling really good And I find myself doing that. Even when I first met you, you were exactly like that. And I find that the people that I enjoy working with or seeing during industry events are exactly the same way and they genuinely are interested in you. And I saw that in my mom. And so for me, emulating her enables me to continue her legacy, as you would say.
0: And it seems like you've shared on that love and also those characteristics of your mom. Jaden as well, which is really a gift that keeps on giving. And that's, it's wonderful. And so how did you go through the process of finding yourself? And what did you do during that process?
1: I think I had no choice. Having a son at an early age, you just have to do what you need to do to get by. So I got a job at a real estate investment firm in Oakland. And so they were really helpful. They were flexible. When I had to go and meet with Jaden or he had school field trips, they were very flexible and supportive. So I think having employers that were very flexible and supportive has helped me along the way.
0: You were introduced to me within our investment community as just being an overall rock star. And You'd left a very successful fundraising role. So I'd love to hear how you went from that to being president of AIM. A
1: few months ago, actually, I caught up with the president of the old private equity firm that I used to work for. His name is Joe. And he's like, hey, Gracie, how's life? And I was like, hey, Joe, I was just working from home in Hawaii. I don't work 80 hour weeks anymore. And he's like, you don't work 80 hour weeks. Were you working part time for us? (laughs) So yeah, it was a transition after working private equity for three and a half years, as head of fundraising and investor relations, the Reliant Group, which is a 2 billion assets under management firm. I actually was pretty burnt out. I went to grad school at the time. And I remember someone from AIM, when I was interviewing for AIM, one of the board members asked, why did you quit private equity when the Haas program that you went to was meant for working professionals. And I told him, try working private equity and going to school and taking care of your son. Something has to give. Eventually, I had left the private equity firm and then did grad school, then did tech MA for a bit. And then this position opened up. Actually, it was a guy by the name of Jason Lynn. And like within the tech industry, a lot of people know Jason Lynn. He forwarded on the position to me. I forwarded it on to David Kushner, who was formerly CIO of LaSera and SF County. And I was like, hey, David, maybe you should do it. And he responded back, actually, you should. The more I looked into it, the more I realized it aligned with my skills. So, you know, it's fundraising for a cause that I truly believe in. And also it was hanging out with LPs and that's what I love to do. And so I ended up accepting the position and one of the most important things that I like about it, and it goes back to the lessons I learned from my mom and it's a work-life balance, making sure you have time for your family. And so, yeah, I couldn't ask for a better position at this point in my life.
0: I remember at my old company, they brought in an executive coach, and he spent decades and decades researching leadership and qualities that were inherent in in leaders. And one of the top priorities that they had or uh, characteristics was self-awareness. And really it was the one attribute that he said was the defining feature in in leaders. People are saying time is the only commodity we really have to face, and so we're going to use it really wisely. I still haven't met anyone that put such emphasis on it in a way – that they really feel like they're enjoying life. And with you, what I really admire is you put that as such a priority and it's clear, very clear that you make this time for yourself and your family and that self-care is so important.
1: I think the life experiences that I've had definitely plays into my desire for a work-life balance. And I also try to promote it within the people that I work with. So for instance, a lot of our consultants with Aim. They work from home. You know, no one actually reports to me in an office. Everyone works remotely. Or when I'm meeting with a colleague and she's like, hey, Grace, I can't meet with you because I have to take care of my kid or I couldn't find a babysitter. I tell her, hey, won't you bring the baby along to promote work-life balance, to be able to help women in the industry. And I definitely take it to heart.
0: One of the things you mentioned a little bit earlier is that you created San Francisco's most popular happy hour. How did that come about? Was that part of a job that you had at the time or just something on the side you really wanted to do?
1: It was mainly because I needed to be at home with my son. That was my first priority. So going out every single night, which I feel that you need to, especially early on in your career, you need to be out there. You need to be meeting people. You need to be networking. I just couldn't do it every single day. So instead of going out and meeting people at different events, I was like, okay, well, I could have my own events and I could collaborate with these amazing women who are very well connected themselves and have this one big event. And so I think it was just more of a need that I needed to needed to tackle and to be responsible and be with my son. And that's how the Good Times SF came about. I think it's just having the nucleus of People that are have great energy, great vibe, that are part of the industry, like we share a common thread of collaborating and helping one another out. I think that's definitely why Good Times SF and ultimately, you know, I bring that to AIM is um, the collaboration um, and the desire to help one another.
0: It's interesting you mentioned that because when I first moved from New York back to California and a colleague had introduced me to AIM it was a wonderful organization, solid at the time, and this was now five or six years ago. And I met a few people, and the networking events were good, and I enjoyed them, but I just didn't stay engaged for a variety of reasons. And about a year and a half ago, I started hearing about name again. And people were like, oh, you have to go to this event, or it's getting so fun now that was when you joined. And it was really attributed to you. And you've single-handedly changed the liveliness of the organization. But can you go into that a little bit in terms of using your sales skill now on the nonprofit side and really expanding that for AIM and also just for other nonprofits?
1: I think social media has helped a lot. And I was just lucky enough to be leveraging LinkedIn early on. So sometimes when I post something, I get 20,000 views, 30,000 views. So yeah, I definitely leverage social media to get AIM's voice across. And I do it in a way that it's kind of like a cocktail party where I'm not talking about AIM all the time. I'm not trying to sell anything, but I do keep it professional. I do tend to take it to... Limit sometimes. I put some edgy posts, but it's still business professional. So, leveraging social media has definitely helped me propel AIM to the next level.
0: And what are your goals for the organization? Do you think about it in the next quarter or year or two years? Or how do you think about the future of AIM under your watch?
1: I work with the board of directors on that. And I think one of the things that we'd like to get more involved in is the politics of it cuz there's a lot of laws that are meant to help minorities but yet Asian Americans aren't considered minorities in some municipalities or states and so we get left out of that and so no matter how hard i try if we're not included in that law or that definition the Asian-Americans get left out. So for now, what we've been great at is creating a grassroots movement where people want to help AIM because they like AIM, because they love the network. So I think that's what we're going to continue to do is just create awareness for AIM, more awareness for AIM, and getting more people that are influential to attend our conference and that want to help the organization.
0: You really have a genuine love and compassion for people. And I think that comes across, whether it's defined as personal or professional, it really seems very genuine. And I think that's why your reputation really precedes you and people think so warmly of you and and speak so highly of you. We talked a little bit about your mom and her being the biggest inspiration in your life. Did you have a mentor or role models?
1: I would say that there's no particular person that I could pinpoint as my mentor. I would say that there were many women that I looked up to. And when I saw an attribute or characteristic that I admired, I tried to emulate that. So again, for my mom, it was her hard work and, and work ethic that I truly admired and being the loving person that she was. And then for Women in the industry that were very collaborative, those that have helped me to get to the next level, I try to do the same for the next generation. So no one in particular, but I do try to take pieces from everyone and try to emulate them. What are you most proud of so far? I would say that every time I bump into my neighbors, older ladies, most of them, and they would say, Oh my God, your son is so kind. He asked if I need help with the groceries or he would open the door for me. And so for me, it's just raising him, raising a son that is kind hearted is one of the things that I'm definitely proud
0: of. Those are parenting goals right there. I wish my kids would do that, but I'm, I'm going to emulate you and take a page from your parenting book, hopefully. So we've talked a lot about your family and the importance for you for work life balance. And it seems like, the impact of your mom's passing was really, you called it kind of a failure to take time when she was ill, but there's nothing you could have done. When I think about it that way, right? you were in New York and she was here in California, and it seems to really have guided you in terms of how you live your life professionally. Would you change anything about that knowing now that you actually seem to have a really beautiful work-life balance?
1: I still have it in me to work 80 hours a week, so work-life balance right now is the most important thing to me while my son is still in high school. In the next few years, my goal is definitely to grow AIM and bring more awareness to it and to continue connecting people because at the end of the day, I truly get pleasure from connecting people that are awesome and they become best friends and that relationship just blossoms even when you take me out of the equation. So for me, it's continuing to connect people and continuing to find people to collaborate with that have the same mindset and same values. That's
0: awesome. One of my favorite women that I've looked up to is Patty Sellers, who's an editor at Fortune. In an interview, she mentioned that everyone has a story. Literally everyone has a unique story and you never know what it entails. And I think for you, when I met you, you're really intimidating. You seem like the life of the party. And I didn't want to introduce myself because I'm an introvert. And I'm like, and even though I'm in sales, I generally tend to shy away at conferences and whatnot. And I remember being around you and you have this genuine warmth. And so it was a wonderful connection. And I'm so grateful to have met you that day and also to get to know you more because your story is so beautiful and unique. And I think that it's clear you work really hard. But I understand that more, and it's not from, one, just your hustle and your drive, but also the focus to connect and genuinely build a really caring ecosystem. And so you've been president of AIM now for over two years, and membership and corporate sponsorships have really ballooned. How much has it grown under your watch?
1: So for corporate memberships, we've gone from 25 to close to 50 in the two years alone that I've been there. And it's really because people are learning about AIM. And so this year, we are having the national conference in September in New York. And we have a lot of the CIOs of the top public pensions plan speaking a lot of the head of asset classes. So it's truly going to be an amazing event. And I tell people all the time, be there or be nowhere.
0: (laughs) Well, Grace, where can people find out more about AIM and also about you?
1: People can go online, aim.org. That's three A's, A-A-A-I-M, to find out more about AIM, Or you can go on LinkedIn and search for me, Grace Reyes, and I will be popping up with some funny posts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Grace, thank
0: you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed having you.